And I would challenge people, let's get back to scripture. What is the greatest commandment to love God with every, you know, love him with everything. When you start to develop your relationship with God and really start to get a prayer life and start to get in the word for yourself to know him. If you can, if your heart's cry is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, that I may know him. That's, that's where to start first. Secondly, we're all called to share the gospel. The great commission is for all. That is a commandment too. I know we like to talk about the commandments of the things we're not supposed to do. How about the things that we are supposed to do? And that is the great commission, which we, it's a, it's a command to share the gospel. And if you'll start with sharing the gospel, it is amazing what prayer and fasting and getting in the word and walking with him and sharing the gospel will do. And if you'll focus on that, everything else will fall into place. Welcome to the Hacka Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are blessed to be joined by Simeon Costa. He is an international evangelist who has traveled ministering throughout the world for the last uh, 20 or so years. He is the developer of a Bible study called Life Studies, which we talk about in this episode. And uh, he has a unique ministry as an evangelist where he will stay with churches for months at a time while he is teaching Bible studies, discipling, and developing the leaders within the church. He is passionate about discipleship and seeing the local church grow. I always enjoy talking to Simeon, and I'm sure you are going to be inspired and challenged by this conversation. But before we get to it, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend or on social media and allow it to bless others. If you're a longtime listener to the show, can I ask you a favor? Can you please take a few minutes and leave it a rating or a view? I would greatly appreciate that as it makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show in your country. This was a great comment I saw on a recent episode. It's worth listening to. It's awesome getting to know people's journey, knowing what God can do if we let him, and also things you may have in common with others. Wow. Thank you for that feedback, Sister Diane. It has been such a blessing sharing people's stories and hopefully inspiring you to do more in the kingdom in the process. Well, I can't wait to share this one with you. So let's get to my conversation with Simeon Costa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, bro. Well, thank you for having me and good to see you. It's been a long time. Yeah, we're just uh, talking before we start recording how good it is to see your face. I'm seeing your face. Nobody else is going to see it, but I get to see you and, and chat with you and it it's been a while since I've been able to talk to you, you know, one-on-one. I feel uh, quite blessed to have this time with Simeon Costa. Oh, man, I appreciate you, you saying that. Last time I was hanging out with you, we were doing jogging, and, and I was dying because you were killing me. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, uh, but it's good to connect. I, I like to uh, start off these conversations. A lot of people from Sydney... Uh, who, who've been in the Sydney church for a while, even over in New Zealand, so we do have some who listen from New Zealand would know you. Uh, but for those of you, for those of uh, the listeners who, who don't know you, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to start off these podcasts by getting to know the guests a bit. So the, the listeners sort of know where you're coming from, your sort of view, your sort of worldview. So if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with us a bit of your background, where you come from, that sort of thing. Well, I was born and raised in San Francisco, California, which uh, is very different than a good majority of the United States. I say that in a positive way. Um, mm-hmm. let, let me start off by saying that. As of late, obviously, to talk about San Francisco uh, hurts my heart because it's no longer the San Francisco I knew when I was born and uh, raised there. Mm-hmm. In the early 70s, uh, when I was there, it was a totally different place. Uh, I mean, it was, for the longest time, I remember being so proud of my city because it was on the list of the top romantic and most beautiful cities in the world. Matter of fact, Sydney, Australia was always on that list. And if I'm not mistaken, Sydney would always beat us. But one year we beat them as the most <laughs> romantic or most beautiful city in the world or something like that. Matter of fact, San Francisco and Sydney are called sister cities. Yeah. Because you have the bridge, you got the bay, you got all that. And San Francisco was an awesome place to be raised because let me just, I guess, highlight one of the main things that I really appreciate is I never saw skin color or 
different kind of nationalities in a negative way. You sure. know, when I was in school, uh, a Palestinian would be sitting on my left, you know, blonde, blonde, white girl sitting in front, Chinese onto my right, a Hispanic behind me. We didn't see color. We didn't see all that. We weren't raised in that environment. Everybody was just cool with everybody. And I think, I think for that San Francisco, I really appreciate being, uh, being there. That's also the city where my parents uh, met, um, came in contact with sister Marilyn Gazowski, which uh, that church, I guess quite a few ministers had went there to start a church and were unsuccessful. And she went there and in a short period of time, started a, a very successful church and my parents came to conversion there. And so I was raised in a Pentecostal church in San Francisco, which <laughs> was very unique. I mean, you could have someone walking off the street during a service, grab the mic and start singing. And we're all looking at this person, like, who is this person? We've never seen them before to, we bust homeless men every Wednesday night. We fed them. We hung out with them, you know, loved people. There was, San Francisco is, like I said, a very unique place. If you don't have love for people in San Francisco, you won't be successful because mm. every kind of person from every walk of life, purple hair, mohawk, drug addict, successful businessman, you, you name it, man. We got everything. And I'm so grateful for that upbringing because I, I wasn't raised with, with a lot of prejudice or bias or, you know, it was just loving people. So, so yeah, coming from San Francisco, my parents got converted there. And we're heavily involved in building that church. Hmm. My dad was a Sunday school teacher, started a Sunday school class with 13, four and five-year-olds, wow. and then built it up to about 130 kids with 12 teachers under him. Cool. When uh, we left there, my mom was like over like greeting everybody that came through the door and connecting with people. We saw a lot of strange stuff, but it was a lot of cool stuff too. We were on like the cutting edge of just really seeing God do some great things, saw some incredible growth, but yeah, San Francisco was my home. Great food, awesome environment. I missed the way I missed the way that was. So that, mm. I guess that would be kind of like my beginnings. Uh, yeah. I got the Holy ghost when I was five, I was baptized when I was four. God really came into my life there in San Francisco. And you know, my life really changed being there and turned my heart to God at an early age. Mm. So you, you, you're uh, raised in church. When did you feel the call to ministry to take that step beyond? You see, uh, you say that your parents were very active in the church, similar to, to my parents. They were both very active in the church growing up. I grew up in church as well. But when did you have that experience? It may have been a one-off thing. It may have been a gradual thing. But how did you come to feel the call to ministry? Well, you know, what's interesting is in the process of time, I've realized that kind of everything's connected at least for me, it, it was, I wouldn't be able to say this exact moment where it was like, okay, boom, like everything was here one way and now everything is this and now everything's another way. I feel like that call began when I was early and I feel like that call began when I was experiencing at four and five, some spiritual things. And I know that's really young. So a lot of times people can't relate to that, but it genuinely was God dealing with me at an early age. And so I was having an encounter an experience with him at an early age, but we did leave San Francisco and eventually moved to Stockton, California. And when I came there, I was about 14, no, 15 years old. And so you're a teenager. So I started going through some teenage things. And when I came to San Francisco, life was pretty rough. Um, a lot of stuff had happened with my family. A lot of, a lot of things where this is where this is where teenagers could easily walk away mm, yeah but god had god preserved me and coming to stockton i started getting connected reconnected to god because i was not really walking with god as i should so i started getting involved with a youth group going to a group bible study for just the young guys it was on a wednesday night i'll never forget i guess i should say instead of like i realized god called me because i heard him I remember a night where I made a decision to stop living a certain way because I wanted to live for God. And I mm. went to an altar on a Wednesday night in Stockton, California. Nathaniel Haney had just got done preaching. Nobody came to the altar. I was there by myself. Wow. And I just closed my eyes and I said, God, I want you to know from this night forward, things are going to be different. I'm going to start getting up in the morning and I'm going to start coming to the church early to pray. 
And I just want you to know that I'm committing to do that. And from that night forward, my life changed because I started to get up early in the morning, catch the bus, get to get to school an hour early because I started going to the Christian school there. Yeah. And from that, from that year, that because I was developing a prayer life, everything changed. Now I did have some prophecies come my way and people said this, that, and the other, but I really do believe the trajectory of my life changed. And, and, and really I was birthed in prayer. So, um, and then organically I started to get involved in winning people and talking to people. And then they brought me on the youth team there in Stockton. So I was one of four uh, youth leaders. And then I became the youth, the youth leader there uh, after my youth pastor had moved on. That was, that would have been in 19, 96 i believe it was how old were you when you became the youth leader at stockton i would have been so i was i was probably 22 23 okay did you go to the college there as well you went to yeah i went four years i went four years and i was involved with the youth during that time i I was involved with the youth coming out of high school Mm -hmm. and even into college i was involved but when i actually took a position there it was my i'll never forget it was my it was graduation day and i get a call from kenneth haney and he says meet me at carl's jr and um so i i'm like kind of nervous like what does he want to meet with me about because i don't really meet a lot you don't really meet a lot with kenneth haney yeah so for him to want to meet with you is kind of a big deal so i i got in my car went to carl's jr he said so what are your plans and i said um well, I got this church in Chicago that wants me to, or Illinois, yeah, Chicago, you want me to come? And I went through this whole deal. And finally, when I was done, he's all, well, you're not going there. I go, okay. He's all, you'll be staying here. And so I flipped the paper over. If that was the case, I had a plan or what to say, you know, like what I was going to, you know, I had this whole thing and, and he's all, yep, yep, no, no, yep, 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 boom. You're going to be here. You're going to lead this youth and da, 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 da. And that's it. And he just kind of smiled at me. I kind of was like, I mean, he, he was an amazing person, but yeah. the, the, the gentleman, the gentleman got what he wanted. And when he spoke, you listened. Yeah. And, uh, I'll never forget one time I, he, cause he wanted me to go to Bible college and I didn't want to go to Bible college and, uh, or at least I wanted to go one year, but after one year, I didn't like it. So I went to him and I said, you know, pastor, I just want to get a job. And then I want to go to God's Bible college. I want to come here and pray and fast or whatever. He's all, no, you're going to finish what you started. I put my thumb on Jeff. I put my thumb on Nathaniel. And when I'm done with you, I'll, I got, I see, he said, I got my thumb on you. When I'm done, I'll lift it. He said, but you're going to finish what you started. So four years of Bible school became the youth leader. Um, yeah, that was an interesting situation, but yeah, yeah. that's kind of how that one. That's amazing. So uh, Stockton, for those who may not know, is a Christian Life Center, right? And the Bible college yeah. is Christian Life College, CLC. Yeah for those who may not know. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who may not know, and uh, I'm sure there aren't many, but Brother Kenneth Haney was the pastor there and ultimately became the general superintendent of the UPCI. Was he general superintendent then, or was that just before he was voted in? Oh, no. he It was it was a while. See, I came there in 1989, mm-hmm. uh, and he didn't become general superintendent till uh, after I had started already uh traveling or or maybe he was he had started to miss a little bit because he was going back and forth and there was this season where we knew he was potentially going to get into that but that was kind of towards i would say yeah maybe 1998 or something like that i can't remember the exact the exact time but there, there was a long period of time where he was just there locked in of course he was always in some kind of leadership role yeah. But the majority of my time, he was not general superintendent. It was towards the end of my time about to start traveling, kind of stepping away from the youth that all of a sudden that stuff started to go down. Okay. All right. So you, you talk about how that you had this personal call. It was like a commitment to prayer, a commitment to this lifestyle. And, and that's really how you started entering into a, a more uh, of a ministry type deal. For young people, if you had any advice for a young person out there who might be listening or maybe someone who is wanting to answer the call of God in their life and trying to take those uh, next steps in, into developing their ministry, what advice would, would you give them? I would say that, so for instance, I remember one Sunday morning, I was in the balcony and you know we do come from a culture where we depend heavily in many respects on 
the gifts of the spirit, or we really do want a prophecy, or we really do want somebody to like call us out or, or come and pray for us and specifically say, Hey, this is boom, 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 boom. We live in, you know, at least at my time when I was younger, that was a lot of the culture. And so when ministries would come through, boy, we had a lot of ministries that came through that were, you know, gifts of the spirit, prophets, you know, apostles, all kinds of things we had. Um, you were kind of looking and believing for that, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere in your heart you were, but for me, it was different. Like I, it wasn't that I need, it was looking for God to, to, to affirm that I was called per se, mm -hmm. because I knew already God was doing something, but it was more so like, almost like just an affirmation. Cause sometimes you're walking and you're doing things and you're wondering like, okay, I know I I'm hungry for God and I know that I want to do something. And I know I feel something, but really what I need is just like, almost like a, yes, yes, this is right. I'll keep yeah. moving. I don't need a long detailed prophecy, but, but I remember it was a Sunday morning and, and the minister that was there, I was in the balcony called me out by name and I barely knew the guy. And he said, um, God, God has, and this is back when I was helping. I was one of the four that was involved in, I had just kind of started getting involved there with youth ministry. And I was mm -hmm. kind of helping with Sunday school. And we came in for that service when normally we would be somewhere else. And he said, um, God has called you to the ministry of evangelism. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really kicked into that ministry yet. And he started saying all this stuff. Well, man, I can't tell you, like, you know, that crying when you can't hear anybody else except your cry and it's so loud and your, your snot is going everywhere and your tears are going everywhere. Because for me, it was like, God was just saying, I, I, I'm here with you and, and I want you. And we're going to do something together. But I would say, I would say there's, there's an extreme end where it's like, we'll only feel we're called if someone does, if someone calls us out or if we have a dream or a vision. And I would challenge people that let's get back to scripture. Mm -hmm. Scripture. What is the greatest commandment to love God with every, you know, love him with everything. Uh, and, and obviously when you start to develop your relationship with God and really start to get a prayer life and start to get in the word for yourself to know him, if you can, if your heart's cry is that I may know him hmm. and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, then I may know him. That's, that's where to start first. Secondly, we're all called to share the gospel. The great commission is for all. That is a commandment too. I know we like to talk about the commandments of the things we're not supposed to do. How about the things we are supposed to do? And that is the great commission, which we, it's a, it's a command to share the gospel. And if you'll start with sharing the gospel, it is amazing what prayer and fasting and getting in the word and walking with him and sharing the gospel will do. And if you'll focus on that, everything else will fall into place. Hmm. Everything else will be a confirmation and, and then doors will start to open, but sitting, waiting for a call, sitting, kind of waiting for a prophecy to know you're called and then I'll move because again, two, let me, or again, or two, however you want to say that, are we feeling called to preach? Or are we feeling called to, to fulfill our destiny? Hmm. And so, so good. a lot of times we're feeling, we're feeling, at least when you're a young man in this organization, you're thinking about being a preacher. Mm-hmm. Well, the question is, what are you called to do? Does that include preaching? Yes, I'm sure. But but fulfilling your destiny and walking in the fruit and the harvest of that many times is beyond preaching behind a pulpit. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so really digging into prayer and walking with Jesus and knowing him is the greatest place to start and everything will fall into place. Yeah, I love that. Keep Keeping it simple, you know, focusing on, on the things that really matter. The, mm -hmm. the things that are really going to build up your relationship and then your relationship with God, your relationship with others, uh, and f fulfilling the commandments that God has already given us to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, yeah. we're all kind of like waiting for this special calling, this special direction, and overlooking what we can be doing today, what we could be doing right now. Uh, I love that. Mm -hmm. are, are, you, are you waiting to preach? Or are you waiting to fulfill your destiny that that's a that's a word for a, a young man a young woman out there who mm -hmm. uh feels the call to ministry amen well you, you talked a little bit about how there was this prophecy uh, about you stepping into evangelism being an evangelist and 
you're well known around the world. You you've ministered around the world, uh, not only for your preaching because you you do you are a, gr- a great preacher, but primarily for your ability to disciple and to train disciple makers. Most traditional mm. evangelists, those of us who are thinking about evangelists, we're, we're thinking about like sort of the modern apostolic movement. The the definition of evangelist is someone who goes around and preaches from church to church, but you don't really do that. I think you mm. may have done that from from the beginning. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll explore that. But you actually go to churches and you stay there for sometimes months at a time, teaching mm. Bible studies and, and training people, helping them to learn how to teach Bible studies, to be a disciple maker. Did you always have this approach to evangelism? Was was this always your method, or when did you decide to to move in this direction? If it wasn't always your method, yeah, it was not always my method. Obviously, um, if there's one thing that maybe somebody can take with them today is do not do not approach ministry with this picture or idea that it will always be X. It will always be this way. If you if you if you'll learn this, that the one thing you can count on is God will never keep it the same then you're going to flow quite well with God because he is constantly moving. Mm. Uh, he's in, as, as TD Jake said a long time ago, he's a movement, not a monument. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing of, about him is he's, he's already shifting and changing. And the problem is, is, is whether or not we're ready to move with it. So when I first started, obviously it was very organic. I didn't realize that I was actually a little bit more progressive in this regards as far as evangelism, I didn't realize that I was, but apparently I was because evangelism for me was all was already going through the neighborhoods and knocking doors and talking to people, which that wasn't something people hadn't done before, but kids my age weren't doing it at the time. But then another thing that made it kind of different was I opened my home uh, and I, I opened it to church folks at first because we were doing this whole thing where we had this big youth group Bible study, a bunch of guys, and they broke it up. And so one of them was going to be at my house and this other guy was going to team up with me and they, they split it amongst four homes and all the church kids didn't come to my home. Like I, I had food ready for them. I had everything you know ready and nobody showed up. So I said, forget this, man. Like it was like two or three weeks of that. So I said, I, I mean, if the church kids come fine, but I'm not going to depend on them. So I got on my, my Apple computer there and I typed in, uh, I typed a, a letter to all my, to all my neighbors. And I, I made a hundred copies and I folded them up, put them in an envelope. And this is back where you can go to people's mailboxes. And I went and I put a hundred, uh, and on the letter was like, hi, my name is Simeon Costa. I'm 16 years old. Just want to let you know, I'm starting a Bible study in my house, went through this whole thing. Like, you know, very simple, sweet, you know, back going back and reading, it was like, Oh my God, what a, what a nice kid, you know? Uh, but I was like, you know, the Bible says in Acts 3, Acts 238, you need to be baptized and all this very direct. Well, my Bible study blew up from zero to like 30 people. Wow. And I, we were baptized. We were walk people, walking people from my house to the church, baptizing them late at night. People were getting the Holy ghost in my house, at my house. I had guest speakers come. So that was, it was a combination of that side of ministry but also being asked to preach. And so the preaching sermon type or, or preaching thing kind of evolved because in Bible college, you got to preach, right. you know, prior to Bible college, I'm there in Stockton. Nobody's asking me to preach because nobody knows me, mm-hmm. but in, in Bible college, it's a class. Mm-hmm. So bro, like I didn't know this preaching thing. Like I didn't understand that part. I could talk to people. Mm-hmm. I could bring people to church, but I didn't know about that part. I'll never forget, man. I had no Bible school clothes. And so I was wearing my dad's really big white shirt. It was like three times bigger than me, his sport coat, these pants that I like, if you'd have seen under my shirt, literally there were, it was like knotted. Cause it was so, I was so skinny and the pants were so big. I didn't know that you don't take the preaching class serious. I thought you're supposed to like really give it everything. So I went like on a three day fast for this. Wow. And I, and I, I went, and I, I got up there to preach. Well, the place blew up. People were under the pews. There was no more preaching that day. We just went to the next class, even though there was two other preachers on the roster. Well, I thought that was normal. I thought that's what's supposed to happen. Well, come to find out that doesn't happen usually. No, it doesn't. No. And so, and so 
I was like, Oh really? I thought, you know, whatever. So, I mean, we were, we were there for hours, bro. After class, people missed their classes. People were talking in tongues under the all under the pews and we we're praying for people. So that thing started up, the whole preaching thing started up, but what started up simultaneously was the personal connectivity with people. So when it, when I started first traveling in 1998, it was going to churches and preaching in services. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's where it started. But then I hit a spot where I started in 2000, it was nine years in, it was about 2005 or something. I started, I started realizing that I was going to these churches, people were getting the Holy Ghost baptized and I would come back and nobody was there. Mm. Those people that got the Holy Ghost and baptized were not there. And I said, God, what is going on? And I took it very personally. And I remember right, yeah. I was in a hotel room one night and I'm weeping and I'm crying and I'm just like, God, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to keep like going and preaching and seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost and then come back and I'm getting paid to do that. Hmm. I feel bad about that. Like, give me an opportunity. Give me, give me multiple opportunities to see these people stick and be in. So I go to this church in 2005, uh, Max Manley there in, um, I don't know why I'm forgetting the Santa, not Santa Rosa. Oh man, I forgot the name of the place. So I start, I start uh, connecting with him and he has this Bible study he had been working on. It was called evangelism 101. I think he had been, he had used it initially, but it wasn't really being used at this time because he had grown. And so, you know, it was a larger group. So he was kind of focusing on that. Well, I grabbed that, didn't know really how to teach it. And I started teaching really teaching a bunch of Bible studies. Mm -hmm. And it was from there that all of a sudden I started falling in love with meeting all these unchurched people that people were inviting to their homes. And I was teaching in cafes and all this started kind of emerging from there until finally, I didn't even know it was a ministry that was happening. Let's just put it that way. I just felt like God was changing my, the trajectory of my ministry. I started teaching a lot more instead of preaching. So Next thing I know, I go to Santa Rosa in 2007. I'm a little discouraged. My ministry's going in weird places. I'm, I'm I can't preach out of a wet paper bag anymore. It's more like I'm a teacher, mm. and and I'm just like, wow, what are you doing to me? Like, you know, the the firebrand of Simeon Costa all of a sudden started going, and I'm just I, a more metamorphosis is changing, and I don't <laughs> understand what to do. So I, I, I remember Chad King was a pastor there in Santa Rosa at the time. He said, Hey, I got these new young ladies. Would you teach them a Bible study? I was like, he's all, yeah, you know, that thing you were talking about life studies. Uh, yeah. I, and I go, okay. And so I start teaching these three young ladies in Santa Rosa went from three to five to seven to, to 12 to 15 to 30 people. And we're in this home and people are sitting in other bedrooms. I'm sitting in the living room. There's only one door into the living room. The next doors are into bedrooms and, and kitchens and all that. They're sitting throughout the entire house, dead quiet, even though they can't see me because we don't have enough room just to hear the teaching hmm. to the point we had to split it up into two. We baptized 25 people in two and a half months and thus began an incredible harvest there. And then we added another 25 in three months that were just coming and visiting. And the, the church went from averaging 90 to 110 on Sundays to when I left, we hit 161. And then I'd come back periodically and it grew to 180 to 200, 220 and so on. So that was kind of the launch of it. Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't really know what I was, what I had my hand, had my hands on or what God was doing. It was like, God just kind of pushed me in that direction. So that was kind of how that began and how the discipleship component began. Because remember teaching Bible studies is not the same as making disciples. Anybody can teach a Bible study, but making mm -hmm. disciples is, living life, doing life, building relationships. And like literally what Jesus did, he lived with these men for three and a half years. Like they were a part of what he did. And that's what ended up happening. I, I literally, these people are my friends today. I just got off the phone with one of them a couple of days ago. And that was back from 2007. Hmm. So it's, it's uh, more relationship. And so there's that element too. Yeah. And you've been doing that now for what the last 14 years you said that was about 2007 is when it started yeah mm -hmm. so yeah all since that would be about 14 years and then you go to churches for months at a time and you'll stay there and even years right <laughs> or a year or so yeah yeah so so what how that whole month thing started happening was actually it wasn't even life studies at the time it was just i would start preaching and then things would start happening they want me to stay 
And, but by the time the life studies came around, everybody had been used to me coming around and hanging out for like a month anyways, but because they're already comfortable with me being there that time, but also the, the, the discipleship process takes time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want, they want like this, they want quick results, but, but they don't realize the effort and the time and the energy it takes to do that. And if you're trying to build a church or you're trying to see something break through and you're really trying to see sustainable growth, you're not going to do that in three weeks. You're not going to do that in a weekend. Mm-hmm. So, so, so yeah, I would end up staying at, so, so what that would look like in a year then is I could be at two different churches in one year and that's it. Sometimes mm-hmm. three at the most because I, you know, and then there was the rare times where I was somewhere, was somewhere for a year. Those are the rare times, but, and we could maybe talk about some of those stories, but it's in those times where you begin to see more results, right? you know, um, and you see sustainable results to when you leave those people that have got converted are now being your teachers, your connectors, and they're duplicating the process. And that's the goal. Yeah, and, and we saw that when you came to Sydney, you came to Sydney for, I think it was like three or four months before you went over to yeah. New Zealand. And, and we saw that take place where not only were you yourself teaching Bible studies, but you were helping disciple people, get people grounded uh, to the point where they could in turn teach Bible studies. And then and, and we saw growth off the back of that, obviously. So what is the number one thing that churches get wrong when it comes to church growth. I think you talked about it. You, you may have touched on it a little bit just there, but what do you think is the number one thing that, that like the modern apostolic church gets wrong when it comes to church growth? Well, here's what's so interesting. What's so great about the church that we've been raised in is that when it comes to people needing the Holy Ghost and being filled with the Spirit, we don't have a problem with that. Hmm. That's a great thing, right? Right. I mean, that it's not a struggle to see people filled with the power of the Holy Ghost is amazing. Like, that's that's incredible. People wanting to get baptized, we don't struggle with that. I mean, that if if, if they're wanting to get baptized, we're gonna we're gonna talk to them a little bit. We're gonna get them ready. We're gonna let them know what's going on. We're gonna baptize them. But where we struggle, I think, is that growth somehow is seen in posting something on social media. We had fifteen get the Holy ghost this week, or we had a hundred. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was this one church in California. I mean, it was all over. It was a press and all this, like 600, 700 people are filled with the Holy ghost. It was like press as far as within the, within the organization. Mm-hmm. And it was like, Oh my God, you know, but you go to that church, they're not double in size. I mean, based on the numbers I saw, they should be running 3000 easily. Right. Yeah. So growth growth is seen in experience and how many have experienced that and that is not growth Mm -hmm. that's conversions but growth is when i can go to your church in four to six months and i can see the tangible results that you were running 100 and now you're running 200 because those people that got converted are still attending your church and the thing is, is we don't really care about that. So success, I, I guess, instead of maybe highlighting what we're doing wrong, let me, let me, let me, I guess, focus on what success would be success, true success and true growth. It's, it's changing our mentality from short-term to long-term. So short-term is we had 34 people get the Holy Ghost this week. We baptized 12 Yahoo. And we got it posted. Now everybody knows, Whoa, these guys have 34 people get the Holy Ghost. Mm. That must be amazing. Right. <laughs> but then you go to the church and where's the 34. Mm. So I'm going to say heaven, heaven's looking for a church that pours as much resources and focus in getting the 34 to then disciple, making disciples and, and developing and mentoring the 34. Mm. And that's, that's drops off. I remember in, in, in Stockton and other places, we'd have Holy Ghost crusades. We'd have two, 300 people get the Holy Ghost at our crusade, but they weren't at church the next week. Hmm. So the point is, is how are we integrating them? And so what, what, what kind of what I do is I'm like, great, you got the Holy Ghost baptized. How can we lock you into a life study this coming week? Now, here's our options. Here's where we're at. Here's our locations. Where do you live? You live in this area? Great. Awesome. We're going to be here at seven o'clock on Tuesday. Bring whoever you want to bring. Um, I'll tag in with you the day before just to confirm you're coming. Boom. 
Yeah. Now we're going to see exponential growth. And, and so this is where maybe we're missing that hmm. is, is the discipleship component. And here's why discipleship takes time. Discipleship, discipleship takes energy. Discipleship takes giving a piece of yourself and your life into someone. And we would rather shout, you know, rah, rah at church. Let's do it all at church. But Hey man, Monday through Saturday, leave me alone. Hmm. I'm having a great time versus Monday through Saturday is where I thrive. Monday through Saturday is where I'm doing golf, putt, putt golf with this person. That's not even going to church just yet. And this one just received the Holy Ghost. They're new, but I'm teaching them a live study or I'm living life with all of these people doing life with all of these people and teaching and holding babies. And I'm at a quinceanera and you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. in their world, hmm. you know, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus was the friend of sinners. Think about that one for a while that if you start there, discipleship follows because I'll never forget. I was in Europe with um, the youth pastor at the time was Jeff Garner. It was about 16 of us traveling through Europe for 30 days. And, you know, I'm a real emotional type person and even more so back then. And we're in the van and I'm crying in the van and I'm like, I'm like, Pastor Garner, how come we're not reaching more people? How come we're not winning more people? And he says, you know, Simon, I don't know the answer. He said, but I do know the scripture says Jesus was the friend of sinners. I started thinking about it. Am I really friends with sinners? Like, are they my friends? Or are they just a person that needs God, but I don't really know them? And I think... I think we're afraid to be friends with people that are not churched. Uh, Jesus, let me just say this. Jesus was never afraid of being around darkness because he was the light. Hmm. Church folks are afraid of really influencing the world because in reality, they're more afraid of being influenced by the world than influencing the world around them. I am not afraid of darkness because I have the light. Hmm. If you get around me, something's going to happen to you, not the other way around. Hmm. so and I, th I think a lot of that I think a lot of that and that's that's so good discipleship is relationship and I think a lot of that circles back to that relationship that you have with God if you have that strong personal relationship with God then they're not going to influence you you're going to influence them because you're being influenced by God you're being influenced by the Holy Spirit who's leading you and guiding you as you go about mm -hmm. your day and that's such mm -hmm. a important point there that Jesus was close enough with sinners that he was able to be accused of being a friend of sinners. Think about that. Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah. That's heavy, bro. Um, let me say this. I, I made this post one time. I'm always, I always, I, I used to be on Facebook a lot more, but I kept getting in trouble. So I kind of like just stopped <laughs> for a while. But I said, if you, if, if the world if the world is if the world is comfortable being around you, you may be more like Jesus than you realize. If if the religious are more comfortable around you, you may be a Pharisee more than you realize. Mm. The point of that is this: Pharisees and the religious never truly felt comfortable with Jesus, and nor did he with them. But the Bible says he ate with publicans and sinners. He was called gluttonous and a winebibber because he 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 loved being around people that needed help mm. he loved being around people that were sick because he was the answer yeah. they that are whole need not a physician he came to the unrighteous he came to the dude that's beating his chest going forgive me i'm a sinner then to the dude that's going lord and i'm glad i'm not like this guy jesus said which one went to his house justified the dude that was pounding his chest that felt unworthy and so I think, I guess what I meant by that initial statement is this, dude, sinners loved pe the people, the masses, they loved to be around Jesus. But you'll, you'll notice all of his major issues with people were with religious folks, hmm. were, were with people that thought they were better than everybody else. Or, I mean, I fast twice. I fast three times a week. I even tithe on my mint and, and anise or anise or whatever spice that is, you know, they, God just, he wasn't all about it. He he would rather be with the publican and the sinner. And I mean, if you think about it, you had these ultra conservatives, you had these ultra liberals, but those are the, literally the flip side of the same coin. Jesus isn't even on the coin. If you want to know where Jesus is, he's where the people are. Hmm. 
-hmm. He doesn't care about all that stuff. Yeah. And as far as, you know, a lot of times things can get political is what I mean. He's about people. And if you get about people and you get focused on people and you love people, your whole life will be changed. Like I said, the reason Jesus wasn't afraid to be around people is because he was the light. He knew he changed everything around him when he got there. Hmm. Um, and I think there's just too many Christians that we're not walking in the power of the spirit. We're not walking in the light of the power of the spirit. So therefore, you know, we don't know what to do with that. I'm not afraid, like get me around whoever, let's start going at it. You know, hmm. I'm going to be the game changer here. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to be the one that turns the tide. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's mentality, it's attitude, it's how we're being, uh, it's how we're being taught and it's, it's, and it's, ha- and it's seen in how we carry that out. Yeah. That, that's really good. So the Bible study that you use, you only use now is when, when you're making disciples is called life studies. We've uh-huh. been using it that I was talking to my friend, Wiki. Apiato is talking to him, and, and that's the only Bible study that he uses. It's the only Bible study that I use. Pretty much the vast majority of our church at POS, we pretty much only use this Bible study. What mm-hmm. is different about life studies than all the other Bible studies out there? What do you see as the differentiating factor in, in, in this one? I would say I would say the 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 applications and maybe the way in which I convey the the biblical method or message there which is which is seen by illustrations that of course when we train people and of course you know this greg yourself by being there at pos but the goal is of course you have a a biblical concept but how you personally the best way to to convey it is by you personally giving an illustration of some kind whereby that person can see it see the thing about live studies it's it's about seeing it's not about just hearing it's about seeing. Jesus said, except a man be born of water and spirit, he can't what? See the kingdom. Mm. It's about spiritual revelation. It's about the eyes being opened, those aha moments. I can't tell you, bro, how many times I've seen that happen. And that's what causes me to want to keep teaching. Because next thing I know, I got this person crying at a Starbucks, crying in their home, whoever it is, and the spirit of God is moving. And it's like, oh my God, I see this for the very first time, especially that lesson with the tree where we realize, wait a minute, you mean the greatest of the greatest sign of love in the garden is the tree? You mean the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't there to trip them up? It was there to provide a choice which means give, gives them liberty, which means a lot, which means it allows a love to exist. And the one who put it there is the greatest risk taker. He's the one that's got to say, I've got to let you, I've got to give you the option to reject me. So you can have the option to accept me. I got to give you the option to walk away. So you can have the option to stay. Hmm. Cause there is no gray area with love. It's black or white. And so the greatest love expressed is, 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 is what God is doing there. Not what Adam and Eve is doing. And, and, and then when you realize, oh, my God, that tree, if there is no tree, we're not free. And, of course, that lesson goes into a lot of other things. And, and obviously, you know, we talk about how they, they ate of the tree. And when they ate of the tree, life ended and death began. But thousands of years later, God becomes a man and dies on a tree. So what started with the tree ends with the tree. And it creates a divine symmetry where everything man lost at this tree, he can gain at this tree, gain at this cross. This first tree, you're not supposed to partake of it. If you do, you die. But this cross, you have to partake of it so you can live. Well, those kinds of things are not being talked about in Bible studies in many cases. They're giving you the same verses. They're telling you that they're not supposed to eat of the tree. But there's not a, there's not a connectivity to the point where, the, where, where it's like, bing, 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 bing. Whoa, where did that come from? Hmm. I've heard that story my whole life. How did that get connected? Because it's all connected. The old, you can't understand without the new and the new, you can't understand without the old. And Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words I speak are spirit mm-hmm. and life. Spirit, not spiritual, good concept, good principle. Hey, write down these five steps. He says, my word is spirit. It's alive. Mm-hmm. And so therefore there are things going on in the word as you get in the word that is, re- is, revel- is revelation boom, lights are going off and things are dawning on you. And it's like, oh my goodness. And so that's what I would say. And, and maybe maybe what we're trying to do is deal with a different audience, especially those that are asking different questions. And let me just say this. 
I, I, you know, I'm working on a new series called words in red. I've been working on it for a while, but it's, it's designed for people that want to go deeper, not even designed for the unchurched as much, mm-hmm. because I think life studies 2.0 does a good job of that. But I feel like there's an upgrade that needs to happen as well. I feel like God's constantly moving us to what's the next and what, Hey, fresh, keep it fresh, keep it fresh. But I think, I think life studies, one of the differences is we're asking questions. People are, we're answering questions. People are actually asking mm-hmm. so many times, bro. We, we got, we got these, these tools that we think are tools that are going to do it. And the reality is they're not answering the questions this world is asking. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how do we know God exists? What's the evidence for that? Yeah, I love you know? that. I love that you start there. Like, you, I think that's so important, especially with life studies. Is uh, well, with any Bible study, is that you start at the point where where people are at, because not everyone just accepts the Bible anymore. You know, back in the seventies, sure. back in the eighties, so many people just accepted it as yes, this is the Word of God. I want to learn more about it. Now it's like, mm-hmm. well, why should I read the Bible? Does God mm-hmm. even exist? And so, starting mm-hmm. at that spot is so important because you're laying that foundation as to, okay, well, this is why you should even give the Bible a shot. Mm -hmm. And you hit something that's really awesome is finding out where they're at, because then there's some people, they already know the Bible. They, they believe that the Bible is God's word. Um, So where do we start with them? And then what, how can I start? How can I start with creation? If the dude doesn't even believe in God, I need to go back and talk about some some stuff, you know, we, you probably know about the Einstein lessons and various things we talked about for the existence of God and, mm. you know, general relativity and, you know, uh, e equals MC squared Einstein coming up with this, this, you know, dealing with gravity and coming up with all of this. He, he's an atheist. And all of a sudden this po- stuff, all this stuff is pointing to an intelligence and, a, and, a, and, a, and an origin point and a cause. And, you know, some people need to hear that. Where mm-hmm. are they at? So for instance, let's deal with this because there's some, right now you at first what i was dealing with especially in life studies was how do you even know god exists so we dealt okay well we felt like we had sufficient answers for that well now not just not just testing whether or not the bible is god's word but they're going after certain characters in the bible picking those apart to say this is why noah is a flood myth that's Hmm. not a real thing that's a flood myth adam and eve weren't real people that's a myth all this Genesis stuff is a myth. So one of the things, like friends, is in the 2.0, what I upgraded it I, uh, was to deal with that issue. Here's why Jesus is the center point of all history. You go to you go to you go to Matthew 24, I believe it is, where he says, "As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man." And I highlight three things there that I don't think normally gets hit. For instance, if you really want to validate Scripture, let's talk about this Jesus. Who is he? And I go into the fact that he's an actual historical character. I go into the fact that we have documentation of this Christus who was tried by Pilate, who was crucified. All of these believers, you know, Tacitus, the Roman historian, hates Christians. He's he's fed up with all these Christians, and they're writing about all this, right? And then this man who's, so he's an actual historical figure who, who then claims to be God. And then we have, we have, we have information that would suggest he rose from the dead. So if he is who he says he is, he's actually God, he rose from the dead, right? Then everything Jesus says is valid. Well, wait a minute. Jesus just said in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, he -hmm. did not refer to Noah as a myth. He validates the story of Noah and says that was an actual historical event. Well, if that's an actual historical event, how are we going to keep talking about it as a myth? And so you know, going to, going and digging in those areas, that's the difference, I think, with life studies is we want to dig in some areas, deal with apologetics, but also deal with things in a fresh way that even believers that have been around church for however long, um, they're seeing it in, in a new light as well. Even Christians are accepting some of those stories that, that they are miss, are accepting the fact that Adam and Eve weren't real people, that Noah wasn't real. So even if you're dealing with someone who has a Christian background, Th- those are important things to touch on as well. So, yeah, I, I, that's what I love about life studies is there's so much more depth to it. Also, I like the length of it. I've had many people complain. It's like, oh, it's it's too long. It's like, yeah, well, that's the point. The reason it's the reason I think uh, our one is 20 weeks long. The reason it's 20 weeks long is because you're not just teaching a Bible study, but you're making a disciple. And, and that's, that's why it's so important. 
Mm -hmm. That's the key. The new series, the two 2.0 is almost uh, 30 lessons. I believe I'm going to whittle it down to 28 right now. It's at 30, but some people say, why is it so long? You hit it on the head, bro. You got it. So I feel like, bro, I feel like, I feel like a good, really good teacher. I feel like success has taken place because I didn't say anything. You said it on your own. That means that POS has really taken on this idea that because you're actually absolutely right. The goal is, is to win people, not to simply see them converted. If, if you're looking to see people converted, we have no problem seeing that, but winning them, which is they, they not only make it to heaven, but they begin to in this life, do what it is that you're doing. And next thing you know, we got 10 more Greg Hack Hackathons out there winning people like he won them. That's, mm. that's the key. So relationship takes time. So I need more time and trust me, people love it. People love it. Um, and we, we actually broke it in the life studies into four sections, just in case there are some that want to take more of a module approach. So we have, we have the first eight lessons is called beginnings. Second eight is characters. Third is history, which is five lessons. And the nine lessons is new day. But I, I'll tell you, once people get past like lesson four or six, they're in for the long yeah, haul. Yeah. And that's, that's what's important. That's been my experience as well, yeah. So where can people, if, if they're interested in learning more about life studies and, and getting uh, life studies as a Bible study for their church or maybe even connecting with you, what would be a good uh, spot? Where, where can they connect with you if they want to know more about life studies? Well, if they want to, if they want to learn more about life studies and purchase materials, they can go to www.lifestudies.cc. That's our website, lifestudies.cc. Um, if they want to um, kind of get more updates, which right now the Life Study page, um, Life Studies there on Facebook, there's a Life Study page there. It's been a little slow, but you can message me, not necessarily through the Life Study page, but you can just direct message me uh, from my profile, my, mm -hmm. my actual profile you just direct message me from there and if somehow because i have maybe certain things like blocked if i don't know certain people but if you just send me a message i'll be able to add you as a friend and and then i can get messages that way if there's more more than just wanting to get products they can actually talk to me about life studies and ministry and all that stuff you can just direct message me on facebook awesome i'll link to all of that in the show notes of this episode so you'll be able to find the life studies website as well as the Facebook page and then uh, Simeon Costa's page as well. So if you just go to the show notes, you'll be able to find all of that. I want to ask you one final question before we wrap up here. When it comes to ministry, and I think I like to ask this to almost everyone who comes on the podcast, and, and we've got a, I think we've gotten a really good idea of what you're about, but I did want to give you this opportunity just to, to talk on this point. When it comes to ministry, what is it that drives you? What is it that drives Simeon Costa when it comes to ministry? It's gonna. I'm gonna sound a little bit like a broken record because it's basically the first answer I gave is still the answer, which is Paul said that I may know him. The ultimate thing that drives me is him is is to know him because I think once you have encountered Jesus in a very real way. That's kind of all you want to do is to, is to get closer to him. The second thing that drives me is the call to share the gospel with, with people. And I realize the gravity of eternity. I realize there's coming a day when we won't be able to share the gospel anymore. I realize there's people out there that are hungry that just don't know. And I want, I want to have multiple opportunities to share the gospel. So I guess the the evangelism component, the, 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 the hunger to see people saved and come to, to come to him, to know him as well. Those are the two main driving forces. I think maybe if there was a third, I really want to see churches grow and thrive. And so I've seen too many times the success. So now I'm addicted to it. Mm. And I want to help churches just blow up because, you know, they're winning their, I mean, and when I say that I'm thinking of, daughters winning their moms and baptizing their moms you know so it's not just numbers and 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 just this ethereal idea it's actually people you know that's connected to that but once you see that happen um it changes your life forever i i, I say it quite a bit but it's true i've crossed the line and i can't go back mm -hmm. and once you've seen him the way i've seen him and once you've seen what he can do you can't be satisfied with churches 
as usual. You can't be yeah. satisfied with the normal. Nothing will ever replace that. Yeah, you can't be satisfied with the one day a week when no. when you're living in seven days a week. I mean, been around you when when you're at a church and you're just going and going and going, and it's amazing to witness. But uh, beyond that, it's not all about you either. You do a phenomenal job of, like I said, uh, we've said a couple times, but discipling other people, reaching out to people within the church, the ones that are already there, and helping them you know, get to a point where it becomes part of their lifestyle as well. It's not just, you're not just a personality who is just going to come in and it's all about you and that's not what's about at all. And I think pretty much everyone would be able to grasp that through this conversation, that you're, you're just a really humble guy that has an amazing call in his life. And I'm grateful to know you and, and to be friends with you. And I want to thank you for taking your time today, coming on the podcast and giving your time to, to the listeners as well. And as we finish up here, I want to give you that opportunity to share a word with the listeners, something specific for the podcast, uh, something that the listeners can take home with them. So if you wouldn't mind taking us out from here and, and sharing a word. Awesome. Um, appreciate being here as well. Um, I'm going to turn your attention to Exodus 14 and I'm going to read two verses and then I'm just going to share something real quick with you. It says, now the Lord spake to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi Hiharoth between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. The story goes that they're escaping from Egypt and Egypt is on their tail. And they're, they're now, it looks like they're stuck because there's a Red Sea in front of them. They're escaping the god the the gods of Egypt. They're escaping the bondage of Egypt. They're escaping escaping slavery. They've been through a lot, and now it looks like they're in a God has called them out, and now they're in a position where they're maybe going to die. And the Lord says, "Camp here." Now we know what happens at night. God protects them all night long. Uh, puts puts darkness in between the children of Israel and Egypt. There's fire on one side and darkness on the other. We know the story that they actually go through the Red Sea, a wind. God causes a wind to come and parts it and it's dry land and they walk across and the Egyptians follow and they're drowned and they survive and, and God saves his people. But that entire time, all this is happening, there's a huge tall idol standing where they camped right on the mountain. This, this, this huge idol bales of on. And when you study and research this, this was such a massive stall, tall statue uh, that the, the ships, the, the captain of ships would look to find that huge statue because it was representative of North, almost like the North star. It was, it was almost like a true North, but this was in fact, this God Baal Zephon, the God of the storm. The true north, the one that directed people to keep them knowing where they're going. And what Israel had no clue is they were going to get through this wilderness and they're going to get to the promised land and they're going to encounter a God named Baal. This same Baal, this Baal Zephon, that was a statue that was there the whole entire time. I don't know if we realize that, that in God drowning the Egyptians, he was also prophesying to Baal at the very same time. Something that Israel didn't even see. Can I tell you, we are blind to a lot of things in our life. Sometimes, sometimes we're just going through. We just need, God just get us through this Red Sea moment. But God has got your back and God is on your side so much so that he's prophesying to the enemy that you will face that they had not encountered as of yet, that they were going to encounter. And that was years in the future. And he's almost letting the enemy know, just like I brought them through this Red Sea, I'm going to bring them through everything you're going to try to do to them in the promised land. You've got to know, and I think this is so important, we've got to start living with an understanding of confidence and boldness and faith that God has got the front, he's got the back, he's got above, he's got below. And that if there's a situation that you feel like it's a Red Sea situation, number one, he's gonna bring you through that. But number two, he's got your back for the future. 
And so I want to conclude with that. Understand he sees all. He's working on things that you don't even know he's working on. He's taking care of enemies you don't even know are there yet. They didn't know about Baal, but they were going to find out about him. But God brought them through that as well. So if you just keep walking with God, he's going to take care of everything.